Thank you for listening to this week's message from North Shore Christian Church. For more information about North Shore, please visit northshorechristian.org. So uh, Radical Love is the series we're in, and we started in the summer. And as I was putting this series together, you know, I talked to the staff, and we do uh, the uh, August Ohana, kind of family month. Uh, just bring everybody in. And we do that for two reasons, is, is one thing for the young, to let you guys see your church and know people who love you or serving you or praying for you. Um, I apologize uh, if uh, us doing our old person thing kind of bores you. So thank you for your patience with us. But I want you to understand how important all of you are to us. Okay? Uh, we are family. We're Ohana. Uh, and we love each other. And you are very, very important to uh, this church. It's your church. Yes, most of the time you get to go do some things that are a little more fun maybe than this. Um, but um, we love you and I want you to always know that. The second thing as us uh, people who are a little older, than that, maybe not defined as being young, right? Is this, we have a responsibility to pass the faith on, right? And it only takes missing one link in the generational of passing the faith before you lo start losing the faith in a culture, Right? And so this next generation uh, is so important. And you guys are amazing. So thank you. I'll tell you right now, I have gotten zero complaints about all the shenanigans we've been doing for this month. And, and, and that's beautifully on you. Right? Right? You come in here and, I'm, yeah, we're playing games, showing videos, you know, blowing Lego houses up, you know. Um, and, and you know exactly why we're doing it. Right? Right? Uh, to be inviting to the next generation to say, you know, you're important and we want to bring the gospel, bring the message in a language you may understand, you know. And so uh, I applaud you. Thank you, thank you for your grace, um, patience maybe, and shared uh, mission of passing this gospel message of Jesus Christ to the next generation. They need you and you've been great. Okay, so as we go uh, into our message, I apologize to young people if I bore you. Um, old people, apologize to you because I always bore you, right? <laughs> uh, but I am excited about this message. Um, we are going to look at Luke uh, 15, but before we jump into that, um, our key verse is out of John 13 for this whole series, John 13, 34, and 35. And it's Jesus talking to his disciples. And, and what he says to them, he says, I'm going to give you a new command. And he's preparing to send them off in the world when he is going to exit through the cross and the resurrection. And so what he says is, he says, I want to give you a new command is to love one another like I loved you. And when you do this, the world will know, I mean, other people will know that you are my disciples, you're following me, you're walking with me when you love one another. And when we look at Jesus' love, God's love, it is radical, right? And that's our call. So we're going to today look through the story of the prodigal son at God and radical love. Now, radical love has incredible impact incredible impact. And if we look at the cross, it says in John 15, 13, that it is the greatest form of love when someone gives their life for their friends. And that's what Jesus did for us. He went to the cross in this expression 
of great love, and it had an incredible impact. In Matthew 27, verses 50 and 51, it, it talks about that moment on the cross. And what happens there is Jesus gives up his spirits. When he dies, he surrenders it. They didn't take his life. He gave his life, right? And what happened is it said the curtain that separated uh, what we call the Holy of Holies, where God's presence was, uh, was tore from the top down. It was this huge, thick curtain. And that happened when the earth shook. An earthquake hit, a huge earthquake, not just a little earthquake, an earthquake that said it split rocks. It just shook when he gave that spirit up because of the impact on all of creation of love being poured out through the cross. In that curtain tore because love created an access for you and I. An access to God's power and God's goodness. See, man could not go into the presence of God in that way. But when Jesus died, he made a way for us to go personally experience God's power and God's goodness. And that changes everything. It changed everything for them. It changed everything for us. And as we look at this story of the prodigal son, the lost son, what we're going to see is, and a parable is a story that has spiritual meanings. And Jesus tells this story, this parable, to show us the journey of two boys. One, this youngest boy, uh, he takes his eyes off of the access that he has to God, to the Father, and he gets lost in life. But as the story unfolds, we will see him get found by radical love, and that change and transform everything for him. And so in that, we're going to read Luke 15, verses 11 through uh, 25 here, and look at the first half of this story. So we look at the power of radical love. Luke 15, starting at verse 11. And he said, there was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into the fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. Verse 17. And when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father. I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. 
and he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this is my son. This my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and he is found. And they begin to celebrate. And I'm going to look at two points of getting lost and getting found. So this first part of this story is about this younger son getting lost. Right? And he gets lost from two areas. First is when he, when his give me actually hurts him. And I put give me in quotes. Because as we look at him going to ask his father for his property, his inheritance, right? I would believe that that scene, would, he would have a bratty voice. Oh, give me this. I want this. You know, real selfish. You know the voice that maybe we had when we were younger? Now, um, now you young people here, I know none of you have that voice. Okay? So that's the other people. Right? And you older people, you, you're not bratty anymore. You don't ask for things, give me, give me, give me. Right? Not true. We all still do it in our own way, right? He wants his inheritance, which we have to understand is 30% for the younger son of his father's wealth. And in this story, as we walk through it, what we have to understand, the father represents God. And all the other characters represent people, us. So as the son is asking for his father in this parable, for his share of the property, what he wants is he wants 30% of his wealth. And this son is most likely um, anywhere between 11 and probably 13, 14 years old. So he's a young teenager because he's not married. And remember in this culture, they married very young. So he's not married. So he's a young teenager. In that culture, life demanded they grow up a little faster, so it's not an apples-to-apples age-wise, but you get the idea of development in these things. So he goes and asks his father, and what he's asking is this. We have to understand inheritance in this Jewish culture, okay? Inheritance represented this, of passing the faith on. It was through families that God has called the Jewish people to pass the faith on. So that was part of the inheritance. Money was used right? So they could pass the family name on and pass the faith on. It was also to set up the future of that particular family, right? So they could carry the family, generally business and trade, whatever it was, right, on. So what this son was saying is, I don't care about that, right? I want mine right now. I don't care about passing the family name on right now. I don't care about, um, you know, the family, um, you know, progressing. But also it's for his own good, right? The inheritance is just to help this boy, all the boys in the house, right, um, get a leg up in life. But here's what this younger son was struggling with. It's something called delayed gratification. You know what that is? 
It's where you say, you know, I want this, I would like this, but I'm going to wait. I'm going to wait for it to mature, for me to mature, to be ready. Because here's the thing about this. Um, the estate wasn't ready. Because we'll learn later that this is a wealthy family, most likely. And that estate was still growing, probably, right? So meaning the longer that son waited for his inheritance, and remember, he genuinely got it when the father died, it would be more. So he's going in early getting it out. He, he's leaving food on the table, basically, right? He's forfeiting it. No, wait, wait. It's going to be worth a lot more and better later. Right? He's also delayed gratification because he is not ready. We learn he is not ready to spend this money because it says in the story, right? What do you do? He packs his stuff up a few days later and he goes and spends it on reckless living. How much did he spend? All of it. Squandered is the word. Wasted it, right? And I want this, I want this, I want this. He squandered his own future, right? Because as it sits there, that's it. The family name, passing that family faith on. His own future was squandered. He spent it all with this give me. And it hurt him. It didn't help him. Right? I'm sure day one and two felt pretty good, right? And, and, and we all struggle with that. We want it. And it's so hard to wait before it's ready, before we are ready for whatever it is. But he also got lost because they had a mindset of no rules leads to freedom, right? But in this story, we see the no rules life he was trying to live actually enslaved him. It trapped him. What happened to him, right? He was going to go out, and he wanted to leave to a far country, meaning away from how he was being raised, the family faith. We see him go with citizens of another country, meaning and this phraseology is all people not of the faith, not followers of God. And he goes out and, and we see where he ends up with in a pig pen or feeding pigs, taking care of pigs, with an absolute violation for a Jewish person. So he's totally stepped away from his faith. He ended up at the very, in a sense, bottom of the barrel rock bottom. He thought he was going to go and, and no rules meant freedom. But he walked away from the very system and person, the father who could help him, give him wisdom, give him guidance, create guardrails to help him life to, so he could become all that God has him to be. But he ended up in a pig pen. How many of you have ever been around a pig pen? More of this service, get a lot more pig people here. Hey, welcome, right? Um, well, we, we raised pigs when I was a, a young boy. And um, one thing I would do, I was trying to remember the ages, somewhere between about eight to probably about 11. Um, what we would do is we'd go and we'd crawl the fence and jump in with the pigs in the pig pen, right? And I think I have a picture. And we would ride these pigs and we'd call it the pig rodeo, right? They didn't buck, but they just took off squealing and running. Um, and when you got bucked off, guess where you landed? And this isn't an exaggeration, just so you know. Right, you pig people, right? That's what it looks like, what it smells like. It's gross. It's disgusting. Um, this is where he was 
in this kind of environment. Absolutely. Did no rules lead to freedom? No, it enslaved him. It enslaved him. He was lost from who God had him to be, who the Father wanted to make him to be, what the Father was doing for him and maturing and growing, and absolutely lost sight of it and was lost. But I love God. There's always good news, right? Always good news. And as we look at what God does in finding him, you know, he does that to find us as well. So as the story begins to continue, there's a transition. And the transition is this. Is the son is in this pig pen and, and around these pigs, and he's starving. And he thought, huh, my father, his servants have enough bread. I mean, they can eat the basic things. And I can't even get pods from a pig feed. Meaning this world is offering me nothing compared to the bottom rung of what my father's world can offer me. This world lied to me. I thought I could run over here and experience all these things and put all my investment and my time in this world and I would arrive. And it says he came to his senses, came to himself, ESV says. It's like, what in the world? This is a lie. I'm going to go back. But I've really messed up. And so he practices a speech. Any of you remember getting in trouble when you're younger and you had to practice that speech? Unfortunately, that was usually a lie, right? But you, you practiced it, right? And how did your parents know instantly that you were lying? Yeah, we always thought we were good liars, but we're not, which is a good thing. Young people, your parents know. They've got the secret spidey thing. Can't even tell you about it. Top secret. But he practiced it. Okay, okay, here it is. Okay, I have sinned against heaven and you. I'm not worthy to be your son. Um, uh, treat me like a hired servant. Okay, got it, got it, got it, got it, got it. And then we see him running to the Father. And I broke this, the aspects of this radical love that he gave him into kind of three areas. The first thing that we see him happen is this radical run, I call it. Radical run. Because here's what happens. He is heading back. But what we see is a father who's watching and waiting. He is watching. He's waiting for him. He sees him, I love it, far off. And I believe this is intended to say he is on spot looking for him, wondering. I don't think he just is walking around and, oh, hey, guess who's showing up? No. He sees him there. See, Jesus does this for us, right? He seeks and saves those that are lost, Luke 19.10. He is watching. He's looking for us. He wants us to access his goodness and his power. He's watching. But then this cool thing happens. Um, it says when the father sees him, he runs to him. He runs to him. And you have to understand in a Jewish culture, um, especially this family who's very wealthy, and he's probably, you know, a, a, some sort of dignitary, but at least known and respected in the community they're in. They didn't run. 
right? What they did is they did the pious stroll, right? Really smart people and high up people. You don't run. You're not in a hurry. You know everything. You got it all figured out. So you just stroll, right? You stroll, right? Um, and I'll see what this guy does is pulls up his outer gear and just runs. Men to do that. Like, what are you doing? And it says he did this because he had compassion for him. And that word compassion here uh, is a little bit of a unique word here. Um, uh, it, it means loving him in his very guts. Have you ever loved anything with everything you are? Right? You know, and, and we do that. My wife, my children. I remember when uh, Stephanie and Sydney arrived. You know, I was, and you guys can figure this out. I was just a lame brain teenage guy. I didn't hang out with kids and all that stuff. And you guys know my family story. So all of a sudden we had kids. I didn't even know what I would think and feel. Like, Lord, is it a good idea that I have kids? I'm not sure. Probably not. Um, and then I saw them right in that delivery room. And I thought, holy, so I didn't think I can love something like this. This is weird. Every cell in my body loves this thing, right? And then I was terrified that when we had the second one, Stephanie, our youngest one, you know, confession time. Uh, uh, I thought, I love our oldest one. I'm never going to love another thing like this. And here's God's goodness and what he does to our heart, right? You know it if you have multiple kids, right? All of a sudden, here she comes in with every fiber, every cell of my body. I love this thing in my guts. And this is what this father felt for his son. Have you ever seen a father run because of love? I, I, I had this moment where I really witnessed it, and it impacted my life, and I reflect on it a lot. And it was our own Pastor Pat, right? Um, uh, years and years ago, I was hanging out with Pat, um, and we were sitting by a poolside, and his kids were little, and they were swimming around, and um, I'll just tell the story true, okay? And my kids were supposed to be watching his kids, my oldest daughter. Uh, Sydney, if you watch this, I love you. It's just a true part of the story. And everybody's dressed up, so the adults are sitting around the table, right? And the kids are at the edge of the pool, or right in the pool. Well, Pat's second youngest was just a little guy. He's not little anymore. Elijah stepped off this thing and sank and you know, went in there. And um, I'm sitting there, you know, and, you know, I didn't know the family that well. Just, you know, just starting to meet Pat and everything. Pat fully dressed, dressed up, without blinking an eye, jumps up like a cat into the water, scoops up his son, sets him down, checks on him real quick, sits down. I mean, he's like that fast, done. Wow, right? Um, you know, I was pretty fast. I'm a coach, like, oh, that's good. Um, but what I saw was love. And somebody from the guts of who they are, without even thinking, gone. And it was a little odd. He's sitting there soaking wet and everyone else is dry. It was a little weird. But we just kept the conversation going. So, okay, this guy's cool. Um, but this father ran. He ran because he loved his son. You have to know this, all of you. Jesus loves you. He loves you so much with everything. There we go. With everything you are. He loves you with everything he is. So much that God himself would come 
to this earth. There's this powerful phrase, and I can't quite get into it, but oh, become sin and die, give his life for you, for me. It's powerful. He loves us. So this radical run by this father, but then there's a radical rescue we see happen. See, if, you, if, you, if you've been to the Holy Land and, and see that Jewish culture, uh, people don't live like all of us are trying to get way out around no other people, right? Most of us, right? Uh, there, they, they had to, they lived in uh, communities, in a sense, villages to support each other. And a lot of times there's lots of family and extended family lived in these areas and those were a lot of towns and stuff. And so what happened was, you know, when this son showed up, um, he most likely, highest probably, walked into an edge of a village that his family was from. And his father was, you know, somebody of, of esteem, a wealthy uh, a person there. And he shows up and everybody, we can tell by a little later in the older son, knew what he was doing, even the details, right? Hopefully you live your life like there's no secrets because it's true. There are no secrets, right? Um, and so he shows up smelling like a pig, everybody knowing his messy life and all that he'd done, and it was gross and just so much sin. And what the Jewish culture rule was, Deuteronomy chapter 21, is if a son rebelled against his family, then they would stone him. That means kill him. That's what they do as a community, right? He shamed his father. You know, you don't shame your family like this. You don't do that. You don't waste that money. Oh, and they're ready to go. You know it. But here's what happened. There's a radical rescue that took place. A radical rescue. As that son entered, and what, I'm sure he expected it. They were going to start scorning him, ridiculing him, calling him out, quite possibly stoning him for what he did. But what happens? The father runs, and I can just picture this, runs through the community, seems far off, and they're watching him run. And when he gets to this stinky, messy, sinful son of his that just wasted a third of his wealth, what do you do? He embraced him. He hugged him. He kissed him. Right? What he was doing was telling everybody else, I'm with him. And he took on his shame, his sin. He bore it right there. And he walked through that village with his son. His son was a mess. Oh, you and I do the same, right? We've done it. Oh, boy, if that kid was my kid. Right? How many of we've said that same? Oh, this is what I would do. And I laugh this, this little thing. We're the best parents for other people's kids, aren't we? <laughs> then we get our own kids like, oh, crud, this is hard, right? Oh, but you know they were doing that. Oh, man, if I got hold of that kid, oh, yeah, come on. Bob, man, he's weak. There he is, walking with this sinner, this disgusting, messy, stinky sinner. Jesus does that for us. 
Hebrews 12, 2, he says, he takes on the shame of the cross, our cross, the scorn. And what he does is Isaiah 63, he says he replaces it with joy and peace. Oh, does this kid deserve a good, uh, I don't know, can I say spanking anymore? Is that where we're at? Uh, whatever it is, a good time out? Let's do that. We'll keep it set. Does he deserve a little punishment? Yeah, but you're going to see mercy because that's what God gives us. He grabs him. And I can't imagine what that walk must have been like for that son. Think about that. Because here's the bad thing about this story for us um, is we've heard it a thousand times. You have to listen to it in the Jewish culture to understand how intense this scene is. And the Pharisees and scribes who Jesus is trying to get this point across, um, where it's landed. Boy, every element of the story just blows to them. This is not the culture we set up. You know, Jesus says, yeah, it's radical. It's the culture I'm going to set up. It does not fit with what you've created. So he radically rescues his son. And he does this. Man, they show up at the house after that walk, and he radically restores him, right? This powerful, beautiful restoring. We see the power of this gospel to, to transform and change lives. And you see it happening in this scene. Father arrives with his son, and the servants see him. And they all, everyone knows everything. Whoa. He, he says this to him. What? Go get my best robe. Go get the best robe, he says. What you talking about there? What's a robe? The robe was a way to honor somebody, right? It was the best robe. Most likely, it was the father's own robe. You know, some teenage kid doesn't have probably a real cool robe. The best one in the house was a father, and it represented all who you have become. Puts you in a place of honor, right? Isaiah 61 talks about the robe that Jesus gives us, the robe of his righteousness. And then he paints this picture so we can understand what this is even mean. And he gives the illustration of a wedding, right? In a wedding, traditionally, what you do is the parents um, come in and they're going to give their daughter away to this groom. And so what they do is they spend all this money, a lot of money. I've got two daughters, right? Super expensive. Um, <laughs> uh, but you present your family and everything you are in this bride, in this groom. And you, they wear the best, don't they? If you haven't bought a wedding dress, they're really, really expensive. I'm still sore, right? <laughs> I love it. In uh, they say, look it. This is stand up, represent our family. Honor. That's what Jesus does for us. That's what the Father does to this son. Get the best robe, the best we got. We're going to set him in a place of honor. He is to be honored. Because remember, the son showed up and he had this big speech planned, right? He didn't even get that speech out. He got partway through and, oh, the father knew what he's going to do already. Didn't even let him finish the big speech. He says, no, I'm going to go to work here. This is what I do. You showed back up at my house. Here's what happens when you come to my house. 
you're going to find radical love that changes you, that honors you. Then he tells them, and he puts a ring on his finger, right? And this is an important thing. This is a legal action. Because in those times, these rings, these singlets, had a stamp, a family stamp on it uh, that authorized you uh, to basically spend and use everything that the family had. So everything the father had, that son could use for his life. And there's still some laws and stuff that represent that today. It's actually a legal thing. And just think of what we get to use because of Jesus going to the cross for us. It tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 that we get the mind of Christ. When we are found in Christ, we get the mind of Christ, meaning we get to know what God wants for us, what his will is for us, because we have the mind of Christ when we're in Jesus. He tells us in Ezekiel that we were given a new heart. We get Jesus' heart so that we know how to love the world around us because we are not in any place to be able to love like God loves. But with his love in us, we can love the world like he calls us to do so that the world will know that we're with Jesus. It changes everything. It says we are given his spirit John 13, John 14, John 16 just talks about, excuse me, John 14 and 16. It talks about, Jesus, I'm going to leave my spirit with you, the Holy Spirit, to empower you to be my witnesses, Acts 1.8. So we, we can't do it. This, isn't this world a mess? Right? If you've lived any length of time, you lose your arrogance really fast, don't you? That's one thing I like about being an old dude. I mean, really, come get advice from me. I was like, oh, I don't know. <laughs> oh, when I was 20, right, guess what? I had all the advice for you. I just understood my limitations and weaknesses and the things I tried and the pain and the heartache and how this world doesn't make sense sometimes. I said, you know, I don't know, but I know someone who knows. Jesus. Let's go there. And it gives us the power to live in this world, not in our own strength, but in his strength. and restores us into this. It's amazing. And then he says this, get shoes and put on his feet. And this is huge because what this is, in these homes, only family got shoes. Servants didn't wear shoes, only family. So he was saying, he is family. I'm going to restore his relationship. He is my son. But he did this, 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 and he basically was almost hoping you would die just to get your money. Grace, mercy, forgiveness. No, this is my son. Get these shoes on there. And he's going to walk in what I provide for him now. He's going to walk as my son. He's going to walk in my provision. Book of John tells us that when we receive Christ, he gives us the right to be the sons and daughters of God. We get to walk in his provision. We get to walk proudly, boasting in him about being his children. And the last thing the father says, get the fattened calf. And this is why we know they're really wealthy. 
not many families had fattened calves. It, it was super expensive. It took a lot of land and a lot of money to give them the grain and stuff to feed them. And you would only um, eat the fattened calf uh, for the highest of highest of celebration, right? I mean, you got one shot. And he chose as his son, this lost son came and, and was found. And he killed the fattened calf for him and they celebrated. And a fattened calf would feed about 100 people. So it was a village party. And they were going. And this is what God does for all of us. He loves you so much that he fully restores you when we step out in faith. What did the son deserve to do? What did he do to get this? Did he earn a robe? Did he earn a ring? Did he earn shoes? Did he earn a fattened calf party? I'd say probably the opposite. It was given to him by the Father in grace and mercy. But I believe this, the Father did it gladly. Gladly, with great rejoicing and dancing. And it leads us to the last point I want to make here is this. There's a radical realization that's happening here. And I didn't read the verses, but verses 25 through 32. There's another son who hears all this party, and it's really Jesus' point in telling this parable, just so you know, to the Pharisees, because that's who they are. And this older son comes and hears this party going on. and say, what is all of this, all this dancing and stuff? And the servant says, haven't you heard? Your younger brother's back. And that's a phrase, you know, your younger brother's back. Oh, great, you know, right? Your younger brother's back. He was dead, now he's alive. We're celebrating. And he doesn't go in. And the father comes out and says, what's going on? What's up? He says, what are you doing? We know how he lived. He gives some details of it, how bad it was. He says, we know. But I stayed here, and I worked this farm, and I obeyed everything that you said and walked this out. And you don't even kill a goat for me and my friends? This is an important thing. The father says this. Everything I have is yours. This is all yours. What we're celebrating right now, your brother was lost, and now he's found. And it's a cliffhanger. The story stops. Like, how is this older son going to respond? But here's the point I want to make at this. There might be some people here who are the younger son right now, and you're in a far away country. You are believing the lies of this world, and you're finding all your security, all your joy and happiness in that pursuit, and you keep chasing it and chasing it and chasing it and it'll never satisfy. Only Jesus will satisfy and what he has for you. But some of us, maybe a lot of us in this setting, are the older son. The son has it all right there, every day, all around him, and it's become routine. I just do this, I do this work, I'm nice, I do that. Man, we could easily begin just to walk out this religious exercise. Yeah, we go to church because we've always, I've gone to church with my grandparents. I've always done church. It's what I do. And it's not here, this heart transportation of surrendering to the only one 
who can guide us into a powerful and, and the goodness of God, and that's Jesus. Well, we talk about him, and we do believe him, but we haven't been transformed. We have stopped being transformed because it's just background. It's just always there. And he misses what he is in, and it's all around him. And a lot of us can do that. We can miss this powerful Jesus, the Holy Spirit and the work that he's doing in our life right now. We can get religious versus this deep, abiding, intimate relationship with Jesus. And you young people, um, continue in your life to fall in love with Jesus over and over and over again. Have a soft heart for him. Right? And us not younger ones, don't become callous. Don't become routine. You will always be growing, right? You have to continue to walk in it. And I'm going to invite the worship team out here, and I want to give you some final thoughts. You know, like I said, all of us have come here uh, in our different stories, and every story is unique in itself. But the call of the Father is there for all of us, the call to Jesus to walk that out. And Psalm 34, 8 tells us this. It calls us to, to taste and see the goodness of God. And I think that's fitting in, in this setting. What happens is when you, you have to see the goodness of God, understand the power of God, that it's out there. That God is greater than this world, right? His ways are better than this world. Don't believe the lies and get sucked into this trap, uh, but know that he's better. But that's not enough. It might be a start for you. Say, I need to see it. You have to taste his goodness. And think about food. When you taste food, you take it in, right? As it comes in, it actually becomes a part of who you are. You have to digest this Jesus in a way of taking him in so it begins to be a part of your life. That is when the blessings come of God. Not just knowing about it, but being transformed and letting it become part of your life. Right? So we have to experience, we have to taste his goodness. So we're going to sing a song um, called uh, 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 Gardens of Grace to Gardens, I think it's called the title of it. Um, but it really talks about these paths, that he creates a way. We can't do it on our own. We have to walk the path that he creates for us to access his goodness and his power and have our lives transformed into the likeness of Jesus. Right? And wherever you're at today, he is making a way for you. Whether it's hurt, brokenness, it's sin, if it's addiction, if it's disbelief, if it's religion, he's making a way to him. He says, walk it. It's the only way. Jesus is the only hope for you, for me. And we cannot take it lightly.